Welcome to Turning Points, Clearway Capital Solutions podcast series, where we talk to leading investment managers and general partners in their respective asset classes about the evolution of their markets and how they are responding to these changes. Established in 2008, Clearway Capital Solutions is an independent and privately owned company, providing business development and capital advisory services to investment managers in alternative and traditional asset classes who are seeking to engage with Australian and New Zealand investors and their consultants. The Turning Points podcast series provides listeners with direct access to the insights of our investment partners. This podcast is for educational and illustrative purposes only and does not constitute and should not be relied upon as financial advice. The podcast will be provided to listeners on the basis that they are either sophisticated or professional investors. Today we are joined by Eric Woodworth, Deputy Chief Investment Officer from DSM Capital Partners. Based in Florida, USA, DSM is a specialist manager of fundamental, concentrated global and US growth equity strategies. DSM invests in strong but undervalued businesses with significant competitive advantages, predictable earnings and earnings growth, and solid balance sheets. DSM was founded in 2001 when Eric joined the firm, and today it manages in excess of $8 billion in client assets. The firm is entirely owned by its founders and employees, a key factor that has maximised client alignment and ensured firm success and stability across many market cycles. Hi, Eric. Thanks for joining us on Turning Points. Sure, great to be here. Could you start by telling us what AI means today? And more importantly, how does DSM view AI from the perspective of a stock picker? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Michael. For us, uh, AI is about using language and text and more natural uh, human communication techniques to generate outcomes uh, with the assistance of technology. So it's basically replicating human abilities. Uh, you know, how do we use technology to do things faster? Uh, how can we use technology to provide a, a base of content and complement a human's work on a particular project? Um, how do we provide more concise information and analysis uh, in a quicker manner? So it's basically using technology to communicate, automate, and generate outcomes and uh, analysis in a more concise, efficient fashion. In terms of how DSM is looking at it, uh, you know, when you think about the different computing cycles over time, there was the mainframe, there was a PC, the internet, smartphones, and based on all our research and a lot of conversations with um, people in the tech, communicate, tech community, AI feels like this next compute generation, and yet it's happening at a faster speed and at a steeper ramp than prior cycles. So we think AI has tremendous growth opportunity over a shorter period of time than the prior computing cycles. So given this acceleration in the use and understanding of AI, particularly generative AI over the last few years, 
What does DSM think the market is missing in terms of the future growth and emerging trends in generative AI? And how are you positioned to take advantage of this? Sure, good question. I think what the market may be missing is just the speed and magnitude of growth. I have attended four AI conferences this year, and I'm always amazed at the uh, diversity of people there, the functions they're in, the companies they're at, and the use cases that they are coming up with. Let me just give you a specific example. It's an AI conference in Las Vegas in August and had one session where I didn't have anything pertinent to attend to. And yet there was an aluminum manufacturing company that was giving a speech on Gen AI. And I was like, what is an aluminum manufacturing company? An old school, legacy, dirty industry type of company going to teach me about AI. And there head PhD scientist got up on stage and she went through a list of how they were incorporating Gen AI in their business. So they were using it in HR, they were using it in finance to look at accounts payable, accounts receivable. They were using it on the operation floor to detect anomalies before equipment broke down. And I came out of that just thinking, wow, if an old school aluminum manufacturing company is using Gen AI um, at that many uh, use cases within functions, every single company across the globe is going to be using Gen AI. And if you're not looking at using Gen AI, then you're going to fall behind the competition. And it's those kinds of presentations and fireside chats that we go to at these conferences that just give me increasing confidence that the use cases just continue to blossom and that the um, demand and uptake of the technologies needed to implement AI are just going to be extremely robust. So how do you break down the market from a stock picker's perspective with respect to AI? And are there any areas that may be overlooked? Yeah, I think when we think about investing in AI, it's obviously um, a theme that is replicated across our different strategies based on bottoms-up analysis. And we think about it in sort of four different sections. Um, you have the first wave, which is the compute and the cloud infrastructure um, needed just to get things up and running. So that's the obvious players like NVIDIA that produces the GPU chips. That's the major cloud vendors like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Oracle to some extent, et cetera. Uh, the second wave is going to be the software companies that um, implement AI rather quickly. We're already seeing that with the likes of Microsoft, Adobe, Intuit, uh, three large holdings for us. And other software companies will rapidly adopt it and monetize it. The third wave, which is probably more a 2025 or even post-2025 event, are the IT services companies. So think Capgemini, Accenture, Tata Consulting Services, EPAM, et cetera. As clients and enterprises and governments look to implement AI, they don't have the people resources to do it. They don't have the technical skills. So they are going to turn to these IT services companies in mass to help them implement AI. And so we're seeing these companies invest billions of dollars to upskill and train hundreds of thousands of employees to get ready for, for that demand. So IT services is kind of that third wave. 
And then I guess the fourth wave, and it's kind of the, the diamond in the rough theory, is can you find that one bank, that one insurance company, that one aerospace company, that one airline, that one mining company that uses AI to its fullest potential and really stands out within its industry? You know, maybe they use it for uh, efficiency, productivity, so their margins go up, their earnings go up, their stock goes up. So who are the one or two companies across industries that are really going to stand out by using AI? And if you can identify those companies, um, they're likely to outperform their industry and could potentially outperform the indexes as well. So what's a good example of one of these fourth wave companies using AI? And also, what are you trying to avoid? Sure. So in terms of those diamonds in the rough, um, you know, one thing I came back from these industry conferences was a question we should be asking every held company and every company we're looking to invest in is what are you doing with AI? Um, what sort of pilots are you kicking off? What sort of functions do you see AI helping you with? Um, what sort of internal, external use cases are there for AI? And if a company comes back to you and says, well, we're not really looking at AI right now, we're going to wait for it to develop, that's probably a company you want to avoid because they're going to fall behind the competition uh, that is using AI to uh, reduce cost and generate revenues. So I think over time, um, as we investigate more companies and if one particular company is doing more with AI than the other companies we're looking at, then maybe that's a company to focus in on. And again, kind of the early stories or anecdotal stories we're hearing is it's focused in finance, it's focused in HR. So maybe those companies that have, you know, maybe a bank that has a large uh, employee population, a large HR staff, maybe that's where we try to find that uh, a diamond in the rough, so to speak, within the fourth wave of companies. So, Eric, when you're analysing a stock, how are you taking into account AI's impact on the stock's valuation and also how it's affecting the growth prospects of the company? Sure. So if, if you think AI is going to be the next computing cycle and growth is going to be very robust over the next four, five, six years, then you want to by those leaders, whether it's NVIDIA, the cloud vendors, IT services, uh, networking, semi-equipment manufacturing, et cetera, and just let the tidal wave and just ride with the tidal wave. Um, so we're obviously heavily invested in NVIDIA and the three main cloud vendors. Uh, we've invested in Arista Networks, which will provide a lot of the ethernet switching and routing capabilities in 2025 and uh, beyond. Um, we then have a pretty healthy weight across strategies in IT services. Anywhere between seven and 14% of the portfolios are in IT services. Again, that's probably yeah, two years down the road or so, uh, but we think they're gonna be, be a major beneficiary. Um, so that's kind of how we're thinking about investing in AI and where we are across the AI tech stack. So. I've mentioned some companies, but within uh, semi-equipment, we own ASML. In uh, semi-materials, we own Integris. And then I already mentioned um, Arista Networks in the networking space. 
So what do you think are the key market and regulatory risks affecting investments in AI-driven companies today and into the near future? Sure. So there are quite a few there, but I'll try to keep it quick here. Um, one is obviously the known restrictions that the U.S. is putting on uh, China in terms of exporting AI-type technology. So that can uh, nick the results of ASML and NVIDIA. Um, you know, we got to worry about privacy and data laws, especially with respect to what the EU is doing. That requires, um, you know, more compliance costs, monitoring costs, can potentially slow down innovation and deployment. So we have to be aware of those. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of companies like Adobe and Microsoft indemnify their clients on copyright risk. And I, I think it's, we haven't seen the lawsuits there yet, but we have to assume that they're coming. Um, so how is that going to affect um, Microsoft and Adobe? How much do they spend on lawsuits or uh, fines to indemnify, indemnify their customers? And then kind of the last risk is uh, hallucinations or unreliable data. So if you ask AI, what's the best Asian fusion restaurant in Sydney? and you go there and it's closed, well, big deal. You're a little annoyed, you find another restaurant. But if you ask AI to analyze your blood results and a MRI scan of your chest for cancer, and it gives you the wrong answer, well, there's some pretty big life implications for that. And so AI is not going to replace people in a lot of cases. It's going to complement the analysis. So for anything healthcare related, I certainly want a doctor by my side with their training and their experience to help me interpret what AI is saying. So when you're taking all these risks into account with respect to IG generation and company research, do they flow through to ultimate portfolio construction, active sector and country weights and, and, and active stock weights? Yeah, it sure does. So, you know, the first thing we take a look at is what does end demand look like? Uh, how is the total addressable market growing. So we take an example like NVIDIA. Yes, there are some U.S. export restrictions into China. So there are certain chips they cannot ship. But because demand is so strong in the near to medium term, they're just selling those chips uh, elsewhere around the globe. Um, you know, longer term, if you can't ship into China, yes, that probably takes away 5 to 10 percent of your long term total addressable market. But again, the market is growing so fast, uh, demand is so robust that we, we watch it, we don't worry about that um, near term. And then we just got to think about, are the use cases continuing to proliferate, which will increase demand down the road? Um, you know, we look at diversification of customers and geos. So, for example, Arista Networks, its two largest customers, Meta and Microsoft, account for 35 to 40% of revenue, that is a significant customer concentration risk. So what is Arista doing on the enterprise side to say, um, get into Google more, get into Amazon more to diversify that um, customer concentration risk. And then when it comes to uh, geopolitical risks, you know, if you own Taiwan Semi, uh, you'd prefer to have a lot more of their manufacturing outside of Taiwan, given some of the independence issues between Taiwan and China. 
And then lastly, from a portfolio construction perspective, you can limit your position size uh, based on some of these risks. So if you think the Taiwan-China situation is a really big deal, you don't have to invest in Taiwan Semi, or maybe it's only a one, one and a half percent position. So in case some headlines do hit one to two years from now, your portfolio doesn't get blown up because you've only taken a very small position in that name. So outside of portfolios and stock picking, what do you think are the broader implications of the growth of uh, AI for the global economy and society in general? Yep, yep. So obviously a lot of concerns about job destruction. And I think what we would say is you always have technologies and industrial movements coming along where you have to retool, you have to upskill if you are going to continue to be employable. So if you didn't learn how to use a PC, didn't learn how to use Word or Excel, you became less employable. And over time, as AI becomes more prominent within businesses, uh, people are going to have to use and uh, learn AI. I think you know some of the jobs that are at risk are those kind of middle-level white-collar jobs that are doing repetitive, mundane, manual-type processes. So think about core finance, uh, think about core HR. Uh, we've heard a num number of anecdotal stories where jobs have been cut there uh, due to employing Gen AI. On the reverse side of that, if you're doing your job more quickly with better quality, you're going to create more demand. So there could be a nice offset there in terms of, uh, in terms of demand. Um, and also, if you were, can offload some of your more mundane manual tasks, you can then spend time on more complex value-add tasks that increase revenue, decrease costs, uh, and improve customer satisfaction. So I think at the end of the day, AI will help increase uh, global GDP through better productivity, better efficiency, and uh, better quality. Eric, we talked about acceleration of generative AI earlier in the podcast. What are DSM's market views uh, and what parallels are there today uh, with respect to the tech bubble of 99-2000? Yeah, definitely there's a part of the market that thinks this is a hype bubble that will burst at some point. But I think going to these industry conferences, doing the expert calls, listening to customers that are using AI, they're talking about different use cases with their colleagues, talking about the different vendors they're using, uh, how much they're gonna spend next year. It gives me comfort that there are real use cases there's real revenue generation opportunities, and this isn't just a bunch of eyeballs and clicks like it was uh, 23, 24 years ago. And as it comes to valuation, you know, if you look at our companies like Microsoft, Adobe, uh, Intuit, uh, NVIDIA, Arista, they trade in general terms around 30 times earnings. That's often where those companies have traded at pre and post COVID. Now they're probably in the upper half of their historical valuation range. But when you think about them being leveraged to AI and the runway that's out there and the competitive position they have, that is a 
quite reasonable PE valuation to pay. So we don't think we're in a bubble because the revenue is going to be there, the earnings are going to be there, and if this is the next compute cycle like we believe, there's just tremendous opportunity ahead. So Eric, bringing it closer to home, what is the impact of AI on the investment industry today and what do you think it will be going forward? Right, good question. So internally, we've just started to look at what are the likely use cases and what problems can we solve? Where can we get more efficient by using Gen AI? And I think at the end of the day, as an analyst, as an investor, research is going to happen faster. You're going to be able to get through a particular company or a particular industry more quickly than you did before, and you can make decisions faster. So just some very basic examples would be summarize the last eight earnings calls for Microsoft and tell me how the tone and language differed through each call. Um, what did Microsoft say about uh, cloud growth in each of the last eight quarters? How does that compare to Amazon and Google? Uh, put that in a pie chart for me so I can see um, how incremental market share has shifted over time between those three cloud vendors. Um, let's say you're investigating the railroad industry for the first time. You could ask Gen AI, you know, who are the top 10 global railroad companies? What's their revenue growth? What's competition like? What's pricing like? And you could get a sense of some broad industry trends just with some simple questions without having to spend days and days getting up to speed on a, uh, a particular um, industry. So I think being able to summarize, collect and analyze data in a much more efficient manner is how it's going to be used early on within the um, investment community. Eric, thanks again for joining us on Turning Points. Cool. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.